Father, we thank you today for your word. Lord, we absolutely believe it. Lord, from Genesis to Revelation, God, we, we have wholeheartedly bought into it. God, we know that every word of it's true, every word of it's relevant. And so, Lord, today we just make a choice to open our hearts up just to receive all that you have for us today. Father, we thank you that the goal is life change. And so we thank you for coming and changing our life today. God, help us to hear your word today with faith. And Lord, we pray, God, that you would help us to take responsibility for it and not shy away, not make excuses, but to own what you're saying to us and help us to obey. God, give us the courage to obey your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. amen. Listen, lately we've been talking about the culture of discipleship that God has invited every one of us into. And, uh, you know, listen, I know I keep saying it, but it's really important that we know that he has not invited us. Somebody say he he has not Somebody say he has not. He has not invited us just to know a few Bible stories. He hasn't invited us to just come and speak some kind of Christian lingo or just acknowledge what Jesus did over 2000 years ago. He didn't come just to invite us to hopefully go to church occasionally or go to some small group occasionally. He didn't even invite us to come drop a few bucks in the in the offering basket. He didn't even invite us to, uh, you know, just come and try to live a good life. But what he has invited us to somebody say he has invited me to. He's invited us to come and have access to all that he is and all that he has. He's invited us to do life with him. He's invited us to do life in his presence. He's invited us uh, to, to know him in an intimate way. He's invited us to fulfill the plans that he has for our life. And get this, he's invited us to be a conduit of his power and his presence and his love. He's also invited us to be a representation or reflection of him. And, and all in all, he's invited us to be like him. Amen. Now, now, listen, we know as as Christians that the word disciple refers to this when we're talking about, once again, the culture of discipleship. But disciple refers to this. It's one who is so closely in relationship with Jesus that he not only wants to learn his teachings and obey them, but he also wants to become like him. Somebody say to become like him. So when we're talking about a culture of discipleship, I really want you to know today that we are not talking about uh, surrendering your life to some lifeless organization that basically centers everything around rules. Are you with me? So that's how we become Pharisees. Right. But what we're talking about with a culture of discipleship, we're talking about surrendering our lives to a living God where everything in his kingdom centers around relationship. And it's through that relationship, not only with him, but also with others, that the goal of, uh, of discipleship is really fulfilled or really happens in our lives. So what, what's the goal of discipleship? It's simply this. The way of life or the life that Jesus lived, that that way would be transferred from him to us. Right. Is that right? So listen, that's what the father, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is trying to accomplish in every one of us today. He's trying to bring the life of God into us. So, unfortunately, um, listen, and, and many of you guys have seen it and, I, and uh, you know, I, I've seen it. I've been saved, I guess, what, almost 20 years now. And, and I have I have seen what I'm about to say a whole lot. So please just just buckle in and try to grab a hold of this. When we talk about that, that goal of transferring the life of God into the life of the believer, unfortunately, so many people, when they when they begin to realize what the goal is, is they stop dead in their tracks. And the reason they stop dead in the tracks is because they see the distance between who they currently are and who they are called to be. And when they see that distance, that great divide, they automatically go, man, that's just impossible. And what happens is, is when they go, man, that's impossible, that there's no way that I can be trans, uh, transformed in such a way to become like Jesus. That it's just impossible. When, when, they, when they begin to think that, uh, they quit. 
Does that make sense? You, you know, in fact, maybe uh, Leonard Ravenhill said the best when he said this. And this is such a true statement that we talking about believers that we believe to the point of inconvenience and then we quit. Man, that's weighty, but that's so true that we believe to the point of inconvenience and then we quit. What happens is, is we come to a spot and God begins to speak and God begins to ask us to surrender to another level. God begins to ask us to give us more of him and uh, or give us uh, give him more of us. And when we get to that point, unfortunately, we come to that impasse and we have a decision to make. And so many people quit. Now, the reason uh, they quit or let me say it this way, they don't necessarily quit Christianity. And, and I don't mean this to be cute or sarcastic or anything like that. This is true. The reason that they don't quit Christianity is because they've experienced him too much to know he's not real. Right. And, and then on the backside, because they've experienced him to such a level, they believe that there's a heaven and they believe that there's a hell. And they know if they quit that the that the option of quitting and walking away from God is really bad. They really want to land in heaven one day. Are you all with me today? So. They don't quit Christianity, but here's what happens in their heart. Um, they, they begin to deploy. This may sound goofy, but they begin to deploy the same strategy that I used to get through high school. OK, and it's this is they think this, that I'm going to do enough just to get by. Maybe hand if you ever seen a Christian like that, they're just they're just willing to do enough. Maybe you didn't wave your hand because it's you. I'm playing. Anyway, so I'm kidding. So, Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not you. OK, so listen, but but they think, man, I, I am I'm going to do enough just to get by. And they think this. Listen, there, there's really no need for overachievers here. There's no need for it. You know, I'm going to. And, and there's a lot of people have this mentality. I, I'm just going to give a credible showing. I'm just going to show that, man, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm going to get, I'm going to basically. So nobody points the finger and just you know looks at me and says, you heathen. So I'm going to give this credible showing that, you know, what I, I am a Christian. And so what they do is they start focusing on church and, and, you know, they come and they listen to a sermon. But after the sermon, they're going to choose what they want to do with it or not. And, uh, and they kind of have this mentality that says this, you, you know, you know, God knows that I'm going to stay away from those big sins. You know, and, and there's some reason they're just so content and so satisfied with just knowing that their sins are forgiven. So here's what it appears to me. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I've missed it. But it, it appears to me that too many people uh, prefer mediocrity over maturity in the kingdom. That they prefer just to kind of go kind of go uh, half throttle. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm not a half throttle guy, you know. So here's an indicator that a person has. Uh, slipped into mediocrity is this is basically that they begin to compare themselves to others instead of comparing themselves to the one that they made a commitment to be a disciple of meaning this that they that they that they begin to compare themselves to people rather than comparing themselves to Jesus it's a sign it's an indicator that mediocrity has slipped in our heart but here's why uh, comparing ourselves to others is so dangerous Especially when we begin to compare our, our spiritual lives to others, okay? It, it's really this. Here, I'll just get real simple. It, it's, because, it's because when we do that, we begin to overrate ourselves. That's true, isn't it? Because what happens is, 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 watch this. When we walk in a room and we settle for mediocrity in our heart and we begin to compare ourselves to others, have you noticed how we never pick the all-star to compare ourselves to? Right. In other words, we, we look and go, you know, my sin's not not it's not too bad compared to Kyle's. Kyle sounds like, 
Mine's maybe going, mm, his is, mm. And then we go, you know what, my, my prayer life's not so bad when I look at Duncan's. You know, man, I, I feel really good about my prayer life when I look at his, because that dude never prays. I'm picking on people who I know that's not true, by the way, just so you know. It's like, dang, he's calling. I'm, I'm kidding, right? So, what, you, know, you know, what happens is we go, you know what, I, I, I know a little bit of the Bible. I know more than Jim does or Jack does or whoever. Have, have we ever done that? I, I'm going to tell you where I've done this. I, I was preparing this, and I'm, I'm going to tell you where, where the Holy Ghost just put his foot in my butt. Fair enough? Is there's been times, and li- listen, you, you, you're going to find out, I'm a pastor that's pretty open, okay? I'm not, not in to play no religious games. But look, um, if you're married, you know marriage always isn't easy. All right? Um, <laughs> so, so listen, there's been times where Jen and I, and I love my wife deeply. I wouldn't trade her for anything in the world. Okay? I know that I know that I know that I married the right woman. In fact, I think we got like 26, 27 confirmations that we were supposed to get married before we got married. I had to know. <laughs> I told the Lord, I don't want to burn a bush. I need a burning tree. Give me one. Okay. So, so listen, but there's been, there's been spots in our marriage where we went through hell. I mean, we, we've been through it. And there's been times where Jen's cried and, and, and you know, and I'm angry and, and, and we're, we're in this, uh, not, we never really scream and holler at each other, but it's just, it's just really unsettled. The, 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 the love dove has left the room. You know what I'm saying? It, it is, we, we, we are not in a happy spot. And, and so what happens is in, in this, those moments, she begins to tell me what she, what she expects from me. And, and, you know, I do what most men do at that moment. I get defensive. And here's what I have out of ignorance said too many times. If you see, if you see or you saw whatever, what I see at work every day, then you would think we have a pretty good marriage. I go, you know, I'm not cheating on you. I'm not beating you. I'm not, you know, hooked on pornography. I love you. You know, listen, we got a pretty good marriage. I was replaying all this in my head when I was preparing this. But after all, listen, because what happens is I'm comparing myself to all these people that are coming in for counseling. Way to pick the all-stars, right? <laughs> and so, you know, but as I'm studying this, it's like the Lord's reminding me, hey, Quentin, they were never the standard in the first place. So what, what's happened is, is in my own life, in a lot of ways, I've settled for good when God's called us to great. And I've settled just on the fact that, we, you know, we're, we're good. We're good. We're making it. When, when knowing that there's things from the scripture, from the word, that there's a greater demand on me as a husband that I'm really not operating in. Are you all following me today? When, when I'm not doing what we read in Ephesians of, of cherishing my wife and nourishing my wife and all those things, not being the priest of the home like I should and all that. Is that, is that OK to say that? Yeah. Man, you better not leave me hanging on that. All right. Listen, I'm going to tell you one reason why I'm going to be why I'm willing to be honest about that, because I've been in church long enough where pastors act like they got it all together. And the problem is, is I'm a pastor, too, and I've seen them behind closed doors and I've seen them fake the people. I've seen them literally be imposters and fakes in front of the people. They're good intended people, but and they're so called about trying to set an example. Sometimes we need to set an example in the good way, but we need to be honest, too, because because what happened is, is, is here. I'll even use us, for example. Uh, she would come home and she would go, you know, why don't we have a like pastor and his wife? Look at their marriage. And I'm going, 
problem is, is I've, I've house set for them and I've babysat their kids. I've seen them fight. I, you know, and they got a good marriage. Don't get me wrong. But I've seen, I've seen their ugly spots. And, and, you know, not until the pastor's wife went to the women's ministries and started doing what I'm doing with you now, kind of opening up, did she start saying, oh, well, maybe it's not the show that they put on Sunday morning. Are you all following me? And so what happens is, is when, people, when pastors put on this show, they, they put themselves on such a pedestal and the people just feel like crap. And they feel like they can never achieve something. Bottom line, folks, uh, I have a calling on my life, but I'm, I'm human just like you. And we're all trying to be sanctified. We're all still trying to love God and get there, right? Amen. So is that okay to say that? Awesome. I said it anyways. Yeah. All right. It's over. I've done it. Put out. Edit that out. No, I'm playing. All right. So, so listen, when we compare ourselves to others, we fall in that, that, that area of mediocrity. It, you know, listen, it's really, that's a really dangerous place. Um, because once again, we, we just, we begin to operate from such a different standard than what we're called to operate in that moment. And what happens is if you fast forward and you live like that, then you never really fulfill the plan that God had for you. And you'll never really know him like he wants you to know him. So watch this verse that Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, 12. It's a new living translation. Put it really plain. I liked it. It says this. It says, oh, don't worry. We wouldn't dare say that. As uh, that we are as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are. Watch this. Here's the part I want you to see. It says, but they are only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as the, as the standard of measurement. How ignorant. So here's listen. So if we believe that the Bible is inspired by God, right, that literally as these people wrote that they were inspired by the Holy Ghost and wrote it. Then God is here and telling us that when we begin to compare ourselves to other people, we are being ignorant. So the unhealthy part about comparing ourselves to others is this, is it breeds arrogance in our hearts and it removes the need or the motivation of spiritual growth from our lives. Is that true? Is that true? It is. So the, the thing is, though, is when you, I don't know this up there, but listen, but true discipleship, basically this, when we're talking about true discipleship, it never leads us to arrogance because true discipleship uh, basically makes us become more like Jesus. And Jesus isn't arrogant. He's not arrogant. He's humble. He's meek. So listen, basically the point I'm trying to make to you just here at the top before we really get into what we're going to talk about is we need to remember that Jesus is our standard. He's the goal. Right. The goal is, please get this. The goal for every one of us in this room to say we're Christians is to know the father like Jesus knew him. The, the goal is to walk like he walked, to talk like he talked, to love like he loved, to serve like he served, to obey like he obeyed, to lead like he led. And listen, it's, it's had the compassion that he had. It's had the mercy that he had, the gentleness, the kindness, even this. Watch this. And we don't like this word in, in the church today, but even the holiness that he had. Because see, what happens is, is when I can quit comparing myself to Duncan's and I go compare myself to Jesus, guess what's going to follow? Humility. And also, not only humility, but also some motivation to go get on my face and go, God, I need you. Change me, please. There's such a motivation for spiritual growth that happens at that moment. Yes. That's why that's why I said what I said at the top, the little pre pre sermon there. That the job is not to go, once again, our mindset does not need to be, well, you know, we're more spiritual or more spirit-led. We're more free than the church, you know, whatever, in the town. Once, once again, I want to stress you guys, this guy doesn't think like that. This isn't a competition. 
Okay, I don't have a competitive spirit. Maybe in football, but not in church. Okay, Alabama, they, they can really test my flesh. All right, so, but but listen, another church, not so much. You know why? Because I'm, I want I want to cheer those guys on just as much. I want to see them succeed just as much as us. Because the bottom line, we need them. Y'all follow me? So, so, you know, the goal for us is to do what we do, and that's to obey the Bible. You know, that once again, going back to what we said at the top, is to be hungry like we should be for him, to worship like he wants us to worship, to pray like he wants us to pray. Y'all follow me? To obey the word like he wants us to obey. That's the goal. Amen? Listen, just so you understand, even even while we're here, the, the, you know, the goal is not to even have a, a, a crowd. The goal is to make disciples because Jesus is not counting crowds. He's counting disciples. That's what's important to him. So that's why it's important in our own heart. We, we begin to change our mindset. We begin to change our pursuit, our heart, our passion and go, you know, that's who I'm supposed to be. Amen. So, all right. So before we get fired up here this morning. All right. Anyways. So before any of us uh, basically, you know, throw throw the, the, you know, the goal out and just go, you know, it's impossible to be like Jesus before we slide into mediocrity, before we start comparing ourselves to others and all that stuff or we get all wonky. I just want to encourage you in this. Um, the goal of discipleship, once again, transferring his life into ours. It's not impossible, y'all. It's not. If you believe that, wave your hand at me. It's It's not impossible. Let me let me help you guys out, because some of you guys are struggling with this thought today. OK, let, let me maybe ask you this way. How many of you guys believe that that's true, that he wants us to become more like his son? Wave your hand at me. OK, OK, a little more of y'all. Watch this. God would be a very evil God if he would call us to, to become something that he would never empower us to become. Are you hearing me? Let me say a little clearer. I went Alabama on you right there. Listen, God never calls us to do something, okay, or expects us to be something that he won't come alongside of us and help us to become that. Let me give you an example really quick. Um, in the book of Judges, there's this guy named Gideon, okay? We, we, we pick up Gideon's story. We know that he is hiding in a, in a, in a uh, wine press, right? All right with that? Stressing wheat or whatever. I, mean, I'm, I haven't read the story in a while. Anyway, so he's, he's hiding basically from the Midianites, I believe. And um, basically what happens, he's down trying to do his thing. And, and obviously he's doing something different than what the thing was even designed for. And here's an angel, but it's not just an angel. When you study it out, it's Jesus. Jesus shows up. It's called a Christophany, Christ appearing. So Jesus shows up and he looks at Gideon and he says, oh, mighty man of valor. Are you with me? He's a chicken. He's sitting there shaking, trembling, hiding. And, and God says, oh, mighty man of valor, mighty man of warrior, mighty man. of He's a mighty. Are you with me? It was so opposite of who he was in that moment. But the, but the crazy thing is, how could God sit there and say that to Gideon? It's because God knows who he could empower him to be. God knows who he can be in him if he would let him. Amen. So listen. So when God comes and he says that you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that he's made you holy and blameless in his sight. We're the light of the world, the salt of the world. When he's called you to do all these things, these dreams that you have in your heart that for some reason you put on the shelf and you gave up on because you think that's impossible. The bottom line is not impossible because God spoke it because he knows what he can create in you if you work with him. Amen. 
But let me throw this in here, and this is really what we're going to talk about today. Let's kind of put it in gear and let's go here. Um, that's going to require something of us. See, see, that's the other the other thing that I've seen in the church so long is, you know, even even when I went to school of ministry, you, you know, we got there and. And here's what here's what I, I saw after I saw after three years in that place. What you put in is what you get out. And I saw people come and they just kind of went through the motions and kind of followed the schedule. They, ne- they never engaged God beyond what was fed to them. Are you with me? Those people didn't grow and change a whole lot. But, but those of us that said, you know what, we're going to fast and pray. We're going to pray in tongues for hours. We're, we're, we are going to quote scripture. We're, we're, going, we're going to really dive into everything that he has for us. Everybody else is going to go play. We're going to go witnessing. We're going to go. All of us that did that, we're actually doing something in the kingdom now. And I don't say that in arrogance. But the bottom line is, is basically because we dove into God, God met us there and he began to change us. Those people that, that didn't put that in, they had the same call on their life. They just didn't do their part. Are y'all following me today? So, all right, here we go. Sorry for my little rabbit shells today. I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. We're having fun today. All right. All right. So let me let me use really quick. Let me let me use a, a guy named Peter to give you a biblical example of how the transfer can happen in our lives. Now, uh, we're going to go Luke five. We've read this several times. Since I've been here, I want to show you a different part of it. I do know more scripture than Luke chapter five. Um, we, we, we wore this thing out. But um, here's what I want you to see when we're reading this in Luke chapter five. That this guy named Peter is a normal dude. He's normal. He is no different than you and I. He didn't have an inroad. He didn't have, he's just a normal guy. The only difference is he knew Jesus in the flesh. Now watch this. Some people out of ignorance say, well, he had he had an advantage. He knew Jesus in the flesh. Folks, he did not have an advantage because the Bible said that that what what did Jesus say? That is expedient that I go, that I send you the Holy Ghost. And he said, it is better for you. It is to your advantage that I leave and the Holy Spirit comes because Jesus walked with them after the cross and the resurrection. Guess what? He is in us. So we are actually at, so look at this day, we are actually at a greater advantage than this guy named Peter is. Is that true? So, real quick, Luke chapter 5, I'm going to breeze through 1 through 7, maybe hit the highlights, we're going to focus on verse 8. Key part is this, once again, he's human, and this is before he was a disciple, okay? So we know basically this, we'll kind of cruise through, that Jesus is... Teaching the multitude, and we, and we know that the multitude pressed about him so much that he actually stood in the boat, and, uh, which was Peter's boat, and he began to teach the multitude. After, after he got done and they left, he turned to Peter and said, launch back out in the deep and cast out your net. Peter said, look, we've been doing it. We're not catching anything. And, uh, but he goes, you know, nevertheless, that your word will do it. And so we know that they go out there, they throw the net, they bring in such a great catch. His nets are about to break. He hollers for John and James. John and James come over and help him and uh, Peter and Andrew, his brother. And, and basically, once they get the net in, here's what happens in verse 8. It says, when Simon Peter saw it, when he saw it, what the miracle, when he saw it, watch this, when he saw who Jesus was, it says that he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Read that again. They fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Side note, do you think Peter ever did that before? Do you think he walked up to some dude, 
some guy, random fellow on the street and fell down at his feet and said, depart from me from it. No. Once again, there's a great difference between comparing yourself to people and comparing yourself to God. When he had an encounter with the living God, the son of God, he fell down at his knees and said, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. So what does that mean? Let's sit here for a second. When Peter said, depart from me, for I'm a a sinful man, here's what he was saying. The word sinful in the Greek means this. It means that he was devoted. Somebody say devoted. That he was devoted to sin. That he was loyal, that he was committed, that he was faithful to sin. So, so Peter's not sitting here going, you know what, Jesus, I'm sorry, I messed up once or twice. He's saying, he's saying, Jesus, I have a lifestyle, I have a habit, I am so devoted to my sin. Side note, if somebody came up to you and fell at your feet and said, I'm devoted to my sin, what would you do? We're having fun here, by the way. It's okay to laugh. I would do it. Jane, get the kids. It's time to go. Let's go. <laughs> kids, don't look in his eyes. Don't look in his eyes. He's crazy. Keep moving. Keep moving. What an awkward moment, right? But, but yet here he, is, here he is. Once again, before he's a disciple, he's confessing to the perfect, sinless Son of God. He is devoted to sin. He has a habit or a lifestyle of sinning. Watch this. It's about to get good, hopefully. All right? Let's fast forward to what theologians believe to be 30 to 35 years in Jesus, I mean, in Peter's life. OK, so we're fast forwarding 30, to 35 years. Basically, over that period, uh, he's become one of Jesus disciples. He got born again. He got baptized in the Holy Spirit. He cultivated a relationship with God. He has a ministry that's full of signs and wonders. Uh, he's penned two epistles. And as theologians believe, and actually, when you read Second Peter, he, he calls Mark, who is John Mark, his spiritual son. And so theologians believe that the gospel of Mark was basically written from Peter's influences, from Peter's encounters with Jesus. That's where Mark got his information from. OK, now, on, on top of this, watch, because we kind of hit the all star moments. Here's the same guy in Matthew 16 that said, when Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And they rattle it off. And he says, who do you say? And, and Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And he goes, what? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my spirit. Whoa, what a moment, right? Seven verses later, Jesus is saying, you know what, guys, I got to suffer. Here's the plan. I came to die. Peter rebukes him. And Jesus says, what? Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> that all star moment left really quick, right? So here's a guy, watch this, 30 and 35 years. Uh, he's had some really awesome moments, but he's also had some really tough moments, too. Okay, it's called life, right? He's had highs and lows, just like all of us. Once again, normal guy. But watch what he said here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. He's writing to basically the next generation of disciples, and he says this. He says, as obedient children... Not conforming yourself to the what? Come on, talk to me. Somebody say former. Or if you're from Maine, say former. (laughs) He says, not conforming yourself to the former lust as in your ignorance. Watch this. But as he who has called you is holy. Remember, that's what he saw in Jesus, right? That day at at the catching of the fish. He says, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. The word conduct there means lifestyle. It says, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. All right. So my question I have is this. 
is how does a guy, a normal guy like Peter, get from being the guy that said, I am devoted to sin, to coming all the way over here to say, be holy as he is holy. And all your conduct. How did Peter fill in that distance? How did he fill in that gap? Are you all with me? Because ultimately, listen, we've all got saved. Right. We've all been rescued. But God has somewhere for us to go. Now, how in the world are we going to get there? All of us should be thinking about that. Right. You should be thinking basically in your own personal walk with God. Where am I going? Not just not just going, well, I hope I end up in the right spot one day. No, where are you going? What's the goals? What is what's what's the dream God's put in your heart? What's the things he wants to make you? But basically this, when you get to the end of your life, now you want to look back. What have you wanted to accomplish for the king? Are you all hearing me? That it's not just listen, the goal is not. And I'm sorry, I keep berating this, but the goal is not just to hopefully get to heaven. The goal is to do something. That's why we're still here. We still have breath in our lungs. He still has a plan for us. Yes. So so listen, I, I'll throw this in. There's an old comic strip about Charlie Brown. OK. Strange little cartoon. OK. But there's one of the old comic strips of Charlie Brown and it had him in the backyard and it had him with a bow and arrow and, it, and up against this fence. Basically, he was taking the bow and arrow and he was shooting the arrow and it was hitting the fence. And then he was walking over to the fence and, and he was drawing a circle around the arrow. And, and, you know, the little the little what, what's the what's the girl with the black hair? Sally, Lucy, Lucy, don't you just not like that girl? <laughs> All right. So she's the kid that you keep your your kids away from. All right. So anyway, so she comes over there. Charlie Brown, what are you doing? You know, her little attitude. And here's what Charlie Brown said in that comic strip. He said, this way I never miss. Watch this. That's the way most Christians live their lives. Because they've never spent time seeking God enough. Let me even go this way. Last week, Pastor Brian talked about trajectory. Okay. And he quoted Jeremiah 29, right? 29, uh, verse 11. It says what? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Yay! He has a plan for my life. But verse 13 says that you will seek and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. We celebrate the first part, but we forget our responsibility of seeking him, of finding out what's the target that I'm really supposed to be shooting at. Until I get on my face and seek God and hear from heaven and know what he's called me to do. I'm just Charlie Brown shooting at a fence, drawing a line around it, saying that I hit my purpose. No, you haven't. Not until you have a sure word from God that says, here's where we're going. Amen. I'm giving you all kinds of free stuff today. All right, here we go. All right, let's get back on point here. All right, so how does that guy, how does that guy basically get from way over here to way over here? Uh, really what I want you to see is this, is that verse that we just read, is it's, is it's proof that transformation can happen. It's proof that the transfer can happen. Um, let's look at, let's look at um, also at 1 Peter 4, 3 through 4. I'm kind of hopping around here, Mark. So. It says this, it says, for we have spent enough. Do you notice the word we? Listen, Peter's writing and he did not say for you. He said for we. So he's including himself in this. He said, for we have spent enough of our past lifetime and doing the will of the Gentiles. In other words, those who don't know God. 
It says, when we, once again, walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries. It says, drinking parties, uh, abominable idolatry, idolatries. In other words, he's talking about a lifestyle of sin. And then it says in verse 4, watch this. In regard to these, to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dispensation. So let me break that down for you here really quick, okay? He's saying this. Basically, Peter said, there was a lifestyle that we used to live, but when we met with God, transformation happened, and they think it's strange now that we don't do the same thing that they do. Bottom line, look, if we're still doing the same things before we got saved, we got a problem. Because the Bible says we become a new creation at that moment. The Spirit of God comes and lives inside of us. There's things that I used to do back in the old days that this guy doesn't even entertain doing anymore because of my, my thinking is so different. My heart is so different. Are you all with me? That's, that's called true conversion. Amen? All right, so how can a guy get from there to there? Let me show you a verse really quick. Backing up, uh, Mark, in Luke chapter 5. I think the answer is found there. Luke chapter 5, it says this in verse 10 and 11. Reading the last part of verse 10. This is, remember, where the, the catch, and he said, uh, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. And then it says in verse 10, and Jesus said to Simon, or Peter, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And then it says this. Here's our answer. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. How do we get from there to there? And that whole thing that they forsook all and follow him. Somewhere in Peter's confession of I'm devoted to sin and the moment that he chose to accept Jesus invitation to be a disciple, he embraced a willingness to change. Really simple. He embraced a willingness to change. He embraced a hope that he could be a different man. He embraced the hope that transformation could really happen. And then when we go read those verses, it's proof that guess what? What he hoped for, what he committed himself to, it did happen. Amen. Let me give you one more verse in first Peter two, one through two. It says this It's Peter talking once again. Just so you know, kind of here's what I did. I'm just, you know, just seeing those things in the Bible. I said, OK, let me fast forward in Peter's life and let me just see if I can find some indicators in first Peter and second Peter and see if there's there's things that mark that show that he was a different guy. So if you have time this week, I would encourage you maybe to go read first Peter, and second Peter and just go, OK, let, Lord, show me something here. Let me see the difference in this man. It says this in first Peter two, one, one through two, it says this. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and all evil speaking. In other words, here's Peter once again speaking from a place of transformation. He's saying, lay aside all that lifestyle of sin. And then in verse two, it says this newborn babes. Desire the pure, mild, uh, pure milk, typo, pure milk of the word that you may grow. In other words, that you may be transformed by it. Amen. So so you and I need to understand what Peter understood, that if we're going to be disciple and if we're going to walk with God, then we need to embrace the mentality and a heart that says, you know what? I'm open for continual change. Yes. All right. So let me give you guys this real fast. Okay. Um, it's real easy when you have walked with God for a while to get comfortable there. It's real easy, right? Real easy, real easy to go. You know, what? I don't struggle with things that I used to struggle with. And so you kind of back off the whole Jesus change me prayers. Right. And, and so, you know, but I, as I was studying this, and I'll probably talk about it more in depth next week. Um, I was reading about Paul where he said where he said, basically, that I forget those things that are in the past, right? And I press on towards the mark of the high calling. And in that whole right before they said, it's not that I've attained all this. 
It's like, what, dude? You, you wrote most of the New Testament. You, you've preached all over con- a continent. You've led, there's no telling how many people to the Lord. God's used you to heal people. You, you yourself have been risen from the dead. All, I mean, just a life of miracles. And you say you haven't attained it, that you're not perfect. The word perfect there doesn't mean sinless. It means mature. That here's this guy saying, I haven't even got there yet. He goes, but you know what? I'm forgetting all those things to pass. Listen, we're not forgetting. And, and Paul's not talking about forgetting sin. He's talking about forgetting all the victories. When you're reading the context, he's talking about reading about all the good things that he's done. He's forgetting those things. Sorry, he's forgetting those things. Because why? Because he knows he still has a future in God. And God's still trying to change him. God's still trying to mature him. So the point is really this. If the Apostle Paul can say that, how much more do do we not need to back off the throttle and keep saying, Jesus changed me? Are you all with me today? All right, so let's get super practical and we'll land this thing. In fact, no, I'm going to say this. I'm going to stay on that point right there real quick. I, I was on the phone. Uh, well, we did a FaceTime conversation with Britt and his wife, Audrey. Remember the guy, that, the missionary, all the signs and wonders, all that. So in, in the midst of that conversation, and I am, I am not saying this from a yay, good job, Quentin point. I'm saying you just telling you just kind of what I'm thinking in the midst of our conversation. So we're sitting there talking, and, and, and here's a guy that's told me, uh, I mean, he's been on, you know, he's just done a lot in the kingdom. I'll just leave it at that. And he's, and he's told me on several occasions, Quentin, when I think about people who, who are disciplers, he says, you're the first person that comes to my mind. You're the best discipler I know. Humbling. Humbling. Because I don't feel like I'm that great. Okay? But what's happened is, is here's a man that, that has got... Like four or five people that I trained in a school of ministry, they have now transitioned into his ministry and they're getting ready to go to nations. OK, and and so he's what happens is, is he's gotten people or kids from, uh, you know, 15,000, 20,000 member churches that have went to their school of ministries. And he's saying basically they don't even compare to the kids. Now, now listen, I'm smart enough to know it was the culture of covenant love that helped read all that, <laughs> that it wasn't just me. But I was willing to, my part was willing to do life with these guys, willing to be open and honest with them, willing to pray with them, willing to pour into them. I gave them all that I had, okay? And, and at the end of the day, God gets all the glory. We had great success in that area. I mean, there's people that, I, those kids, you know, they're in their early 20s. They will change the world, no doubt in my mind. But in the midst of that conversation, you know, and here's a guy that has told me flat out, if I had it my way, he said, I would send people, I would send every person that's with me, I would send them to come be with you for a year before they came to me. And then he said, no, 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 if I had it my way, I'd just get you to come work for me and you could train them. Okay. And then at that time I was working cover love. He said, don't tell brother Al, I said that. Right. So, and I just, okay, thanks for the compliment, but I still know me, you know, so it is what it is. Um, you know, I, I highly respect the guy, but whatever. Okay. But the other day when, when was it? Uh, Thursday night, we were in this conversation and he was saying all that stuff kind of again to me. In other words, how, how good we were at, how good a job we did. You know, in my mind, I thought this, you know, Quentin, that's good. But yesterday's victories are yesterday's victories. That's it. I'm not there anymore. I'm not in that culture. I'm not at that church. And I told, I told Brother Britt, I said, you know, my mind's not even there. My mind is this. God, who's the next group? 
That's where I'm at. God, what do you want to do now? What's this season? And so, listen, the reason I'm saying that is because some of us in this room have had great things happen in the kingdom through us. Right? God's used us. God's moved through us. But all that's yesterday. And that's really what Paul was saying. It's yesterday. What are we doing today for the kingdom? What is he doing in us today? Because, you you know, here's actually a promise that, that I personally held on to. I was in Lafayette, Louisiana, and I was preaching a, a youth conference, and then I preached a Sunday morning service. And I was in this real spot where I, was, where I really needed to hear God. Re- I mean, I was just, I, I knew our season was ending in, Lafayette, I mean, in Fayetteville, and I was like, God, where are we going? And there's a guy in the church that's probably one of the godliest men I ever met, and, and he's actually not a pastor. He's a psychiatrist, okay? But one of the most Holy Ghost dudes I know. When, if, the, if, if there is a prophet, he is a prophet, Okay, and I said, Dr. Lynn, I need you to pray for me today. Can you please pray for me? He said, oh, yeah, I'd love to do that. So I go in, I preach Sunday service and, and Jesus moved. It was awesome. And then we go over there and he starts praying for me. And, and I haven't told him anything. I haven't seen him in six years. Okay, and I hadn't. And, uh, you know, he sent me his book, but that's it, you know. And uh, that's been all of our, our interaction together. And he says this to me. He, he's praying and he goes, he goes, Quentin, have you, have you thought about, uh, have you been thinking about senior pastoring? And I just said, yes, sir. And, uh, and I'm all crying and stuff, you know, and it's Jesus over there. And he just moves on. I was like, more, please? <laughs> you, you know, and, like, when is this going to happen, right? And so, and so he moves on. But here's the part that I'm holding on to, okay, is he said this. He said, uh, you know, I feel like the, the Lord really wants you to know that he's not through with you. He's not done with you yet. And in fact, I, I hear him saying uh, that he's just getting started with you. Because I've seen so many awesome things in the kingdom. Man, that word, I'm not going to lie to you, I'm holding on to that word right now. You know, because God didn't call us here to not go somewhere in the kingdom. You with me? And so, you know, I'm holding on to that. Okay, God, you said you were just getting started with us. What's that going to look like? But if I was the type of person that just kept thinking about the past, I could never move forward. Are you all hearing me today? So listen, all the great things you've done, give God the glory and go, God, what's the next thing? Let's go. Let's go. I'm all over the place this morning. (laughs) Hopefully I'm not confusing you too bad. All right. All right. So let's just get with this. Okay. Plain and simple. We'll we'll just go in a revelational way. How does this transformation happen in our lives? Because God desires it, right? Yes, he desires it. So how does it happen? I'm going to give you a really simple thing. Okay? You got to open your heart up to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, do what you can do. Only you can do. I, I, oh, listen, I, let me say it this way to you. Holy Spirit, I give you access to every closet in my life. I give you access to what I'm hiding in the basement. I give you access to all that stuff I keep shoving up in the attic. I give you access to everything I am and all that I have. Holy Spirit, come and change me. Do what only you can do. And when I submit myself to the agent of change through what? Through the word, through worship and through prayer, things begin to happen. So let's... uh, you don't have to worry about anything. You can just stop all that. You're good. Just listen. You're good. Watch this. When I read the Bible, let me ask you this. Is there something inside of me that's hungry for the word of God? 
literally self-evaluation time. Is there something inside of me that's hungry for the word of God? If, if, if I am not hungry for the word of God, then I got to ask myself, what am I getting full on? What, what, what is there that's so satisfying me that it's robbing me of my hunger for the pure word of God? We said a while ago in Peter, he said what? He said, desire what? Pure milk. Right. Of the word so that you may grow, so that you may mature, that you may change. So the, the thing is, is in my own heart, watch this. Am I hungry for the word? But when I read it, once again, I've told you before, do I let it read me? Or do I just read it so I can know something better, clear my conscience, so the pastor don't holler at me again? I say, okay, I've read it. Whew, okay. But inside, do you read that thing and go, okay, God, change me in it. And then let me ask you this. Do I take that Bible and do I take it to prayer and do I really begin to pray that word? Do I pray it? Am I, am I, first of all, let me back up. The, the Bible says this in... Um, 2 Timothy 3.16, for all scriptures God breathed is used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It did not say so that every preacher could be equipped for every good work. So that every righteous man, righteous woman could be effective for every good work. What's that to what God's called me to do? Yes? The Bible also says, study to show yourself approved. He wasn't writing to a preacher. He was writing to the church. Study to show yourself approved. How much of the word is in me? Because, li- listen, the, the amount of the word that's in me will reflect in my lifestyle of how much I'm like him. Yes, there comes a part, and in, in, in we're freestyling here, but Romans uh, twelve two talks about renewing your mind so that you may know the perfect will of God, right? So i got to reprogram my mind. If I'm, gonna, if I'm going to get from here to there, it's going to take a whole lot different thinking than what I've been doing, Right? So what happens is God changes my thinking. He also builds my faith. There's tons of scriptures we can throw at you right now. That, that, but the bottom line is, is, do I have a healthy appetite of the word? Now, I'm looking around. Some of y'all look like me. You ain't missed my many meals. I love to eat. My problem is I like sweets. All right. I was telling Robbie a while ago, I said, you know, he, told me he had ice cream last night. And I said, I said, uh, yeah, the problem is, is you exercise and you, you know, that's the good part. You exercise and you eat the ice cream. My problem is, is I eat the ice cream and I don't exercise. It takes work to keep this figure up. OK, so. So listen, so can you imagine the Bible says that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Can you imagine if you if you ate. Physical food. The same amount that you actually went and studied the word. How different would you look? Are, are y'all following me? That's the food from heaven, guys, that we have to live off of. And I can tell you this from personal experience. When I'm not connected in that way, I feel so empty on the inside. I'm telling you. And what happens is, is listen, when I haven't been doing these things, um, I don't act a whole lot like Jesus. I don't think a whole lot of fear comes in, doubt comes in. All these things, you know, I get angry or easy. All those things happen when I'm not in the Word. All right, so, so, all right, so prayer. Okay, we're getting really simple today. Okay, but I find we don't really do the simple things all the time, do we? Me included. Okay, I've even had to do this on the Word side, reading the Bible. I've actually said, you know what, I'm going I'm to get a book and I'm going to write down what I read every day because I want to hold myself accountable. And I want to be a look at, you know, did I stink on Tuesday or did I really go feed on the Word? 
And I set in my mind, go, here's how much I'm going to read every day because I got to have that. So consistency can be there. Okay. Yes. All right. So. All right. So when it comes to prayer, the bottom line, I keep thinking about this. This line from an old Keith Green song where where Keith Green is singing. He's about to bang a hole through his piano and, he, and he's you know screaming more than singing. And, and he said this. He says that basically from God's voice, he's saying, I want your prayers of fire, not your prayers of ice. And the thing is, this is when we pray, are we there just kind of go through a set routine really quick to say we did to get out the door? Are we going in there? Are we going in there to meet with him? Yes. Listen, in in Matthew six, it says this. Jesus said, when you pray, not if, but when you pray, he said, basically, go into your closet and shut the door. And it says that watch this. It says that your father basically is already there. So when I go to prayer, am I going to pray like he's really there and I'm really going to meet with him? And I'll tell you this. When I really go to meet with him, my prayers aren't cute and cute and oh, just some routine. God, I come as humble as I know how. No, there's passion. There's hollering. There's confession. There's you with me. I go to meet with him. Am I making sense to y'all today? How many of y'all looking at me like I'm crazy? It's all right. But that, is that not the goal? Is to meet, to encounter him. And then last is this. It's just simply worship. Bottom line, do I value his presence? And, and, and here's where you really know if you value his presence or not. Truth, okay? Let me say if I, here's how you know you don't value his presence. Thin ice here, okay? Really thin ice. Is that the only time you worship is when you come to church. When you value his presence, you are always making room for him. You're always worshiping him because you realize your life is worship. You know, at at my house, majority of the time, there's going to be praise and worship music playing. And the reason is, is because I I want that presence, want his presence in my house. Yesterday, I was working on the sermon and Jen came in. She wasn't feeling good. She lay down in the bed and uh, she didn't tell me this last night until we started going to sleep. But I, I, I got sleeping. I laid down, but I had music playing. And she said in that moment, she said, I felt the presence of God coming so strong in the room. I'm just I'm going to sleep, y'all. You know why? Because he's invited to come. We've invited. We've made room for him. Are are y'all feeling me today? Yes. So let me see if there's anything. Okay, so we'll end with this. We'll end with this. I've, I've been going for a while. Bottom line is, is through... You've been created. Let me say it this way. I, in fact, let me tell you what I don't like first. I struggle when a worship leader says this. You've been created to worship. And wrong. 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 You've been created to have fellowship with God. And one of the ways you fellowship with God is through worship. Hear me? And prayer. And the word, all of it together. They're not wrong in this or what they're saying, but they're, but they're just focusing on one part more than the others. Just like I'd be wrong if I said, you've been created to pray. No, you've been created to connect with him. But here's the awesome part. It, it's, it's so practical. The more you're with him, the more you become like him. That's where the transformation really happens. You, 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 know, you know, they say, um, th- there's, a, there's a group of friends of young ladies that we used to hang out with back in. Um, as part of the group, whatever, North Carolina. Anytime there was this old couple coming along, and of course, obviously, the woman's always up front, thin straight, and the man's all broken, you know, kind of behind him, you know, whatever, or behind her. 
He's been working all those years. And uh, but they 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 they'll go, oh, they look so much alike. Have you ever noticed that? It's like, it's like older couples get they, they act alike. They talk alike. All, all those things. In fact, here, I can give somebody an example that you guys know. I, I, I met this guy named Larry Anderson. Larry's from Maine, but he talks like he's half British. Why? His wife is British. And, and when he talks, I'm like, dude, you're such a, you know, I don't know, such a weird makeup. You, you know, it's like, I, don't, I can't figure out who you are. But he talks like half British, half Maine. And the bottom line is they've been together so long, they're becoming like each other. Are you making sense? Am I making sense to you? It's like when you take a group of friends together, uh, you know, get, get a group of teenage girls together. Drama. Anyway, so as a youth pastor, too long, dealt with too much of it. All right. So listen, they, they dress alike. They giggle alike. They act alike. They write alike. Right. All the BFA, you know, whatever. It's, it's gross. Anyway, so it goes against everything that a man loves. All right. So so but they become so much alike. It's the same principle. You become like the one you behold. And if we behold God continuously in our life, ultimately the transfer is going to happen. We just have to do our part, and we've got to begin to meet him where he's at and let him change us. Amen? So here's the challenge, I guess, for you today. And we'll pray, and then we'll, then we'll, uh, we'll make an announcement and we'll get out of here. Is this. Here's the challenge. Is in your own life, can you take a, um, an evaluation? You know, some of you guys are business owners in here. Can you evaluate your life? In fact, in, fact, in that scripture... That we read a while ago with um, about Paul. We talked about Paul. That he said, you know, I, I basically I count all things that I have not obtained. The word count there, actually it's, a, it's an accounting term. And it actually means where we get our term profit and loss. Right? Or P&L at the end of the month. That's what it means in the Greek language. So basically the same way that you would do that in your business. Or if you do that in your own checkbook to kind of figure out where you're at. Can you start to do that to your life? Because that's what Paul was really doing. He was taking a profit loss of his own life, and he was trying to evaluate really where it was at. And just begin to ask yourself, am I praying like I should? Am I reading the word like I should? Am I worshiping like I should? Because those things are, are the marks of a disciple, right? It's not, not in our own willpower, but it's a meeting him and meeting him and meeting him. And a continual thing, allowing the Holy Ghost to change us like he needs to change us. Amen? If you can, close your eyes. So listen, I know we all have really busy lives, and it's real easy to leave this place and to go, okay, well, this morning, you know, pastor was all over the place, and he acted like a crazy man, and just move on. But in your own heart, before we leave here today, let's just just do work with him. Let's do work with him. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to, you know, make some kind of sign to let me know. Just right where you're at in your own heart, P&L time, profit and loss. Begin to say, Jesus, what do I need to change in my own priorities? You know, for some of you guys, it may be this. Man, I spend so much time with this individual that it sucks the time I have of being with God. And you're going to have to make priority changes there so you can be with Him. In your own heart, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do I need to change? And then today, if you can... Have the courage to make a commitment to do that, to meet him there out of obedience. Father, we thank you for your presence today. 
Father, today, just in our own hearts, God, we give you permission. God, to open up that closet door. God, we give you permission. God, to go look in the attic. God, we give you permission to go look in the basement, Lord. Holy Spirit, we know that you are the agent of change. We ask that you would invade every part of our lives. We ask that you would come and you would change us, that you would begin that transferring process, that you would transfer the life of Jesus, the very Son of God, that you would transfer it into us. Father, we open our hearts up today, uh, God, for the transformation that you desire. Father, we pray that that distance between uh, who we currently are and who we've been called to be, Father, we pray, God, that that thing was shortened dramatically today. Father, we pray that you would give us the courage, God, to go spend time with you. God, give us the courage to obey. God, give us the courage to obey. Father, I, I just pray, God, for every person in this room today, God, that the, the sight of them that would want to please people, Father, over you, God, would be broken over their lives in Jesus' name. Father, I pray, Lord, that, they, that every person in this room, including myself, God, would have such a heart to please you, to bring you honor, to bring you glory. Father, and above all, God, we want to know you. We want to know you. God, help us to remember what you invited us to, that you've invited us to walk in your presence. God, that you've invited us to do life with you. God, you've invited us, God, to come and and to know you in an intimate way. Father, help us not to underestimate your desire to know us. So, Father, today we just give you permission to do whatever you desire to do in our lives. Holy Spirit, we give you access once again to to reprioritize, to clean up, to change, to do whatever you need to do so we can do what your word says in 1 Peter, to live holy as you are holy. Father, so we ask today, God, give us a hunger for prayer. God, give us a hunger for your word. God, give us a hunger and desire to, to just live in your presence and to worship you. God, in fact, we just ask right now, God, that you would make us worshipers. God, that you begin to change such things inside us that we would be people that are known for our worship. That we are known for our hunger and our passion for you. God, we want to be that kind of person today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. Good deal. God's good, right? Yeah. Listen, I just want to encourage you this. I know I've talked a whole lot today. Thanks for being really patient with me of going all over the place. But um, please, 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 please do yourself a favor and apply what you've heard today. Right? Listen, God is good. He has a great plan for your life. And he wants you to walk with him and walk in it. And so, but, but once again, that's your part. And, uh, and listen, if, you, if you're a couple here... Listen, there's there's times where we've had some really open and honest conversations about things that we need to change in our own lives, in our own walk, where we've had to challenge each other. Have the courage to have those conversations. Amen. Amen. Okay, it's good. Good account. It's it's good when you marry the right person and there's a good accountability there. Right. Uh, You know, I can say this without doubt. This woman uh, makes me more like Jesus. No doubt. Okay. so um, amen. So be willing to go there with each other. So. Real quick, um, 